0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. My name is Sarah Hanchar, and I am your host. Today, I'll be speaking with my friend, John Serpico, and our topic today is, in a broad sense, lasagna, but we also cover other stuffed pasta. We talk about cooking. We talk about relationships. We talk about all sorts of beautiful and wonderful things, and I'm really excited to share that with you today. I just want to get to the good stuff. So let's get to the good stuff. But real quick, I want to say, please join me on Facebook. I think you're nice. Instagram, I think you're nice. TikTok, I think you're nice. And Twitter, I think you're nice. You can find me in all of those places because I would love to hear from you. How's it going? What's going on? Tell me what's good. Tell me what's nice. I'm always excited to hear from you. You can also just check out all my good stuff at Ithinkyourenice.com or find me at Sarah at Ithinkyourenice.com and just email me there, okay? sounds great, sounds lovely. As always, I could super-duper use your help if you want to help me out. Just rate, review, subscribe, and share. Yeah! It's super easy. All you have to do is go to iTunes and give me a five-star rating and a review there, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give me a five-star thumbs up, rate, review, subscribe, and share. It is the easiest and freest way for you to help me out. All right, that's enough for me. I'm excited to share with with you my conversation with John Serpico as we dive into lasagna and all of the tasty foods that he likes to prepare and all of the beautiful stories that there are to share with each other. Shall we jump in? We shall. Have fun. Enjoy. Yay! Hi, I think you're nice. Why hi? Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time I think you're nice So let's chat, so let's chat, so let's chat I think you're nice, so let's chat you Do- Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. I am your host, Sarah Hanchar, and today I have my very special guest, John Serpico, and we're going to talk about lasagna. Hi, John.
1: Hello. How are you? I am pretty good. I am uh, speaking to you from all the way across the country, so I'm doing great.
0: Yeah, I love technology. I'm infinitely grateful for it, because you're in Boston.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, but but at the same time, I'm also in your recording studio.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And I think it's worth noting that you, if you want to talk about this, and I can cut it out if you like, uh, but you work for Harvard and you attend Harvard. Is that true?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, one of the nice benefits of working for Harvard is that you can attend Harvard through uh, something called the Extension School which is its own school within Harvard and it's uh, the Harvard Extension School was built for you know that I think the term is non-traditional learners so uh, folks that want to go part time folks that you know are approaching higher ed later in life and so it's a really very kind of good aspirational mission for the Extension School but what's nice is it also serves as a benefit to Harvard employees because you can take classes for $40. Bucks. You can, so <laughs> if uh, I'm – you can get uh, – depending on, the, depending on the, the degree, you can get a master's degree for eight or nine classes, which means you can get a master's degree with Harvard on it for under
0: $500. Th- that is amazing.
1: Yeah, Everyone – uh- that's incredible, <laughs> it's a pretty good little uh pretty good little benefit it's uh probably just as valuable as the uh the discounted subway pass I get <laughs> sure
0: uh, subway pass master's degree from Harvard you know
1: it's all like you do <laughs>
0: like one does yeah, yeah, that's so cool. May I ask what you're studying
1: sure, so I'm studying uh legal studies right now and oh. That was kind of a very, very, very quick, interesting story is, uh, my wife, who also works at Harvard, decided that she wanted to kind of dip her toe into studying the law. And so she said, all right, yeah, I'm going to start taking classes at the extension school to see if I like it. And if I do, maybe I'll get a, maybe I'll get a law degree, a JD. And I said, I'm not doing anything on Monday nights. And so I started taking classes with her. But she ended up deciding after three or four classes, she didn't want to study the law anymore. So she's getting a she's getting a, a doctorate in something else. Uh, cool. And then all of a sudden, I was like halfway through a degree that I was really just doing to hang out with my wife. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, at, at this point, it's pure momentum that is carrying me to the to the finish line on this thing.
0: Wow. But
1: Yeah, it's that- really fun. It's. I mean, the law is a very interesting thing to study, especially when you don't have to do it for a living.
0: Yeah, you get to dive in and it's more of a thought process and educational thing instead of something that you're going to be practicing, I assume. So you can look at it in a different way, opposed to somebody who's like, nope, this is going to be my life. And this is what I have to know and why I need to know it. And I'm going to be representing people. And so, yeah, you want them to like, have a different relationship with it than the casual learner, but that's still really incredible.
1: Yeah, what what it's given me the power to do is um, to be able to, like, read legislation. You know, like, if if there's, you know, some law that's passed at the Massachusetts Statehouse, I can open up that – open up the PDF and read it and get, I think, a little clearer sense of what – what it's going to be all about than, than if I hadn't have taken all these classes. So, you know, it's, it's nice to have – it's almost like a little magic trick. When <laughs> when you get pretty good at something that is not tied to your your day job, it just becomes this little magic trick you have. Yeah. So my magic trick is I can now interpret street signs better because I've taken a bunch of legal <laughs> studies classes.
0: <laughs> well, look at that. Look at you. How cool. I'm so glad I asked because otherwise I wouldn't know about your magic trick and nobody, or I mean, your friends would have, but my millions of listeners wouldn't have <laughs> known. They would just know you as lasagna guy, which is also pretty rad, if we're being honest.
1: I've and- certainly been called worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I also want to say, how sweet was it that you wanted to take this class to spend time with your beloved? That's so sweet. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's... um. You know, I'm I'm of a mind where, you know, it's good to it's good to have individual hobbies and it's good to have kind of joint hobbies. And sure. I think both kind of operate in parallel. Um But this was yeah, this was the thing that uh that my wife and I were doing as kind of a shared uh you know, kind of a shared project.
0: Well, thank you for that little insight into your life. That's a lovely journey. And uh now we're gonna jump into The topic that you wrote to me about, uh, friends and listeners, I was uh, on Facebook, and um, due to circumstances the way they are currently, I'm not able to have folks come over to my studio, because usually I have folks come over to the studio, we have a glass of wine, we sit down and we chat, and at the moment we're not able to do that, so I put out a call to my friends on the internet. I said, hey, do you have something nice you want to talk about? And do you happen to have your own recording equipment? And uh, John wrote, he said, "I I, I have an idea and I have my recording equipment and I want to talk about lasagna. And I'm like, yes, let's talk about lasagna. And you mentioned other stuffed pastas, which I, how many are there? Oh, I can't wait. So let's start with your lasagna, is it your recipe? Is it a family recipe?
1: So uh, because I'm from New Jersey and because my last name is Serpico, uh, you know, there's there's almost no such thing as one's own recipe when it comes to Italian food. Uh, you know, my – so, you know, I find, you know, in, in Italian enclaves, uh, you know, northern New Jersey, Long Island, you know – Chicago, like anywhere where a bunch of folks came from the old country and lived in the same neighborhood, recipes tend to blend together, so you know i I wish I could say, "Oh, I have this perfect lasagna recipe that I came up with on my own, but it really is a blend of my mother's sauce recipe, my dad's kind of approach to ingredient choice, and I want to believe my uh, grandma's dedication to making food with love. So <laughs> it's really just kind of an amalgam of different things.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's an excellent point as stuff gets handed down and like throughout neighborhoods and stuff. Um, I come from a Ukrainian heritage. So ours, our food is very, very, very bread-based. Bread mm. and potato. I mean, just carb town all the way. Yeah, it's fun to see my dad when he was when I was at living at home, um him baking bread trying to channel his mother, you know. And it's so crazy because it would smell like Grandpap's house. It would smell just so similar and it was a really lovely experience. So, yeah, having yeah, those I, handed down re- recipes is uh, outstanding.
1: It's it's the idea that food is comfort but also specifically the same food that a beloved parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle made like that's just it's layers and layers of of good memories much like a lasagna
0: (gasps) look at you (laughs) tying it together oh i'm already warm (laughs) (laughs) what goes into your lasagna your family recipe
1: sure so uh i was i was debating this this week you know, do I kind of want to give a recipe? And I thought,
0: ah, yeah, you know,
1: that's – you could look up a million different recipes for lasagna. You so, sure can. You know, in, instead, uh, you know, I'll talk about, I guess, the things that I – that, that my, my foundational beliefs about lasagna.
0: Oh, great. Uh,
1: so I um, – you know, a lasagna, a lasagna has, for me, uh, really four different things. It has a cheese blend, a sauce – a noodle and then a topping, and the the reason why uh, the reason why I say sauce and not sauce plus meat plus fillings is I believe the sauce should have everything in it that's not the noodles and the cheese.
0: Oh. So if you're putting
1: if you're putting um, you know ground pork into your into your lasagna, you should mix that into the sauce and you create a meat sauce. I know plenty of folks that do. You know, they'll do a sauce layer, then a pasta, then a meat, then a cheese, then a sauce. I just find it's a, a just the flavors meld a little more when you're cooking the meat and the sauce and mixing that all together. So if I have all the time in the world, you know, I'm going to start with like a, a sofrito first and, you know, your carrots, your onions, your peppers, or just even carrots and onions, you know, minced up. And browned, and then the 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 meat goes on top of that. And you mix that all together, and then the sauce goes into that, and then you have this real nice, rich meat sauce. And it's that plus noodles plus the cheese mix. And for me, the cheese mix is uh, it's ricotta, it's mozzarella, it's parmesan, and I do put an egg in there. And that's also where all my seasoning lives. So I'm putting uh-huh. you know, all my basil, my oregano, my parsley, uh, all that stuff goes into the cheese mix. Uh, so I've got this this nice, dense meat sauce all full of flavor. I've got this cheese mix that's also all full of flavor and then, for the noodles, I actually am a r- relatively recent convert to the no boil noodles. I used to huh? boil my lasagna. you get the regular lasagna noodles and boil them, but with the no boil, they're thinner, which means you can usually over the course of a whole lasagna pan get one extra layer. And I found, much like cakes, that the more layers are in a lasagna, the more exciting it is. And then I will top the whole thing with mozzarella. When it's all baked up, I'll top the whole thing in mozzarella. That's the topping in my four-part four, four part equation. And get it under the broiler to get it nice and bubbly and brown. And then I'm done. And then that's the lasagna. Though, eh, I'm not done. I am a big fan of uh, reheated lasagna. I think a lasagna comes together much, much better- when it fully cools and then comes back up, it'll stay together like a nice cube that way. So uh, I have eaten lasagna fresh out of the oven, and really it's just a big sloppy pile of deliciousness. Yeah. But if I'm very patient, and I let that thing cool down for two or three hours, then cut a piece, then toss it in the microwave, it tends to come together better. So, yeah. Oh well, my That's my gosh. treatise on it.
0: That... Sounds amazing. I'm also, it's uh, earlier here in Washington, and I haven't really had breakfast yet. And now all I'm thinking about is lasagna. Oh, that spice blend that you mentioned in your cheeses, the oregano and basil. And oh, Mm -hmm. Uh, do you use fresh or do you use dehydrated or do you use, depending on what's going on?
1: I actually prefer the dry for a couple of reasons. I think dry stands up a little better to the cooking. And also, you know, if it's dry, it's actually I mean the flavors are more condensed. It 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 doesn't taste as fresh. Um but also if you're putting a ton of stuff into a sauce that's you know, a lasagna takes hours to make. All the freshness gets cooked out of something fresh when all's yeah. said and done. So if you want to add fresh uh something fresh to it, uh You know, if you have, like, a little kitchen garden or something or have access to fresh basil, cut your slice of lasagna, put it in the microwave, heat it up, and then, you know, chiffonade up a couple of fresh basil leaves and drop it on top right before you eat it.
0: Ooh, that sounds amazing. What does chiffonade mean? I'm assuming, like, chop it up, grate it, mince it?
1: Yeah, it's 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 the way to cut something up that isn't too hard but still looks fancy. So you take, uh, you take like two or three, uh, two or three basil leaves and you stack them all together, like three little sheets of paper, all the same way. You then roll it up. Like you're rolling up a little tiny cigar and then you, you, you cut the roll. Okay. So you get, it's a nice way to quickly make long, thin ribbons of, um, any kind of leaf really. And usually, I mean, usually the thing that people chiffonade are herbs that are in leaves, Sure. Um, so like sh- a chiffonade of, of basil is just long kind of little, little flat spaghetti strands of it. So it looks nice and it also doesn't bruise it up too much. Uh, yeah, like if you're really chopping up delicate. the basil. Yeah. If you're really chopping it up, it's, you're going to see like dark lines on it and stuff. And yeah. So if you're into not bruising the, you know, not bruising <laughs> the basil, a chiffonade's a nice fancy way to do it, but it's also very quick.
0: How lovely. Uh that's how I've, you know, seen cuz I, I love to cook with basil, fresh basil. When it's summertime, I make a caprese salad for every outing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. sort of my jam. And sometimes I'll mince everything up so it can be almost like a make it yourself um bru- bruschetta, bruschetta, Mm -hmm. brew, what have you. And, uh, but yeah, roll it and dice it or sliver it up. Oh, so good. And uh,
1: when, when you get that good fresh ingredients, like good fresh mozzarella cheese and good fresh basil and good fresh tomatoes, like a caprese salad or a bruschetta is such a good way to do it because you're letting the ingredients do the talking. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're, you're not, you're not putting it in an oven or marinating it and stuff. You're just letting those ingredients do the talking. With a lasagna, you you know, lasagna is not that it's necessarily peasant food. You know, a lot of good Italian food is like peasant food. Um, and a lasagna isn't necessarily that. But, you know, you don't need a $20 glass jar of tomatoes to do this you don't need you know the finest freshest mozzarella cheese because you're you're putting all of these flavors together and marrying them so use you know use the cheap shredded mozzarella just make sure it's real mozzarella you know use the use the the big drum of tomatoes uh you know you could do all those things you don't need to spend a hundred dollars making a lasagna you could spend fifteen dollars or twenty dollars making a lasagna. Whereas with the caprese, it's the other side. I would say, oh, use the the best everything, yeah, and the freshest everything. But with a lasagna, yeah, you can you can do that on the cheap,
0: yeah, which is good because it also lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a zucchini, and yeah, was it zucchini or was it eggplant? I went through a a, a phase in again in summertime when all of the produce is at its freshest, and I made um, instead of noodles, I used the zucchini and the um, uh, eggplant. And it was so lovely and it lasted mm. forever because oh, my husband yeah. is a very uh, finicky eater. So he doesn't eat anything that has onions in it. So, and of course this had onions in it and oh my gosh, it! I'm so glad I had it. I froze most of it and just ate it for like a month. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's whenever it's you want it, it's just giving. right there. And yeah. I've I've definitely fr- I've definitely uh, cut up and frozen lasagna. Uh, one actually, one other stuffed pasta that I like for freezing is stuffed shells.
0: Ooh, because tell
1: me. each one is just an individual little boat of flavor. So with with stuffed <laughs> shells, um, what I do is I make that same cheese mixture, you know, the ricotta and the mozzarella uh-huh. and the parmesan and an egg and all my seasonings, and I mix that all up. I'll then cook the meat separately, not as a sauce, just as the meat. Okay And then I will mix the cheese mixture and the meat uh get that going into a nice you know I was gonna say topping that's not right nice stuffing then you boil your you boil your uh, stuffed shells and then you just pack them all individually um bake them in the oven to make sure everything in there is cooked through. You don't cover them in any sauce, you just bring <laughs> them down to room temperature, and then you put them in bags and freeze what? Them. no sauce. You sauce after you heat it up. Um, oh. because the stuffed shell, it's literally just this tiny little football full of flavor. Yeah. And so long as you bring the stuff, the, the shell all the way down to room temperature before you freeze it, it's going to freeze beautifully. And then you're just going to heat it back up, um, you know, in the microwave or in the oven if you want. You can actually cover it in sauce and heat it up in the, in the oven, but I microwave the thing and then I cover it in sauce after. Um, that's actually my, my big secret to chicken Parmesan as well is do not cover it in sauce and put it in the oven. Bake a chicken parm. Oh yeah. Oh, indeed. What? Uh, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm showing my face of like, what's happening. I've been led astray. I've been led astray.
1: Well, think about it with chicken parm. You know, you, you do the, the flour and the egg wash and the breadcrumbs. You make this nice crispy chicken cutlet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you cover it in sauce and put it in the oven. That gets rid of all the crispiness. You yeah, we worked so hard to make it crispy. Yeah, what's the point even if you're just going to do that? So, yeah, that's the thing. You you cook you cook the whole thing through. You have a breaded crispy chicken cutlet. Top it with fontina cheese. So now you just have this ready-to-go crispy, delicious cutlet. Uh, it freezes a lot better. And when you're ready to serve it, you heat it up in the air fryer or the oven. It's going to get nice and crispy. And then just, boop, a little sauce on the top and you're done. So for chicken parm... And stuffed shells, no sauce until serving. It's much better without for the whole cooking and freezing process.
0: My my mind is blown. I have learned so much already. Now, I don't always listen to the recipe 100% because some things seem counterintuitive, um, mm-hmm. especially online recipes. Cannot be trusted. Uh, cookbooks are better because they have to be... Uh, tested. You know, I have a friend who's written a few cookbooks and she mentioned she talked about the process of writing a cookbook is really challenging because she'll make it, she'll do it, and then she has to like play test it out in the world. So that way, you know, will this work in everyone's kitchen? What if your oven is hotter? What if your oven is, you know, less consistent? You know, what's, what's it going to be like? So cookbooks are more consistent, but online stuff, I remember... Oh, what was it? I think it was a cookie. And it had, it asked for a cup of f- um cornstarch, a cup of cornstarch for a sugar Ooh. cookie. And I'm like, this can't be right. This can't be right. So I looked at all the comments and they're like the best cookie ever. So I'm like, I'm going to do this, but I know this is going to be terrible. And I was right. It was a terrible cookie. Um, wow. This is all to say uh, if you have a recipe, think about it because you, like you mentioned, you do all that work to make yourself a delicious, crispy chicken cutlet for your parm. And then you slather it in sauce and then becomes this mush town. Why did you even yeah. make it crispy to begin with? Ah, of course. I, that's, it's,
1: it's, it's one of those things where when you follow, you know, well, I think of it this way is Pete, like we as a, civilization have just gotten better at cooking. You know, it's, yeah. we, we have we have better ingredients, there's less global poverty, like people generally have access to better techniques, more information, better ingredients, and so cooking's gonna get better, and so I think you know, a, a lot of times you, you don't necessarily have to say, oh, yeah, there's, I read this thing on the internet about my grandma's recipe from a hundred years ago, and all of that is like, well, you know, one is the internet and two, you know, has really nothing changed in the world in a hundred years? No, I want, I want a nice modern cookbook from someone I know and trust that's been through the cookbook vetting process. Uh, and I want to, I want to learn, I want to learn, you know, what's the most, what's the most up to date food and cooking technology. That's what I want to leverage uh, because of that. Actually, I'm a very big fan Now, it's based in Boston, so I don't know how nationally known this show is, but there's a show on TV called America's Test Kitchen. I don't know Um, it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, This is a a plug for something I uh, have no relation to, aside from being a fan. America's Test Kitchen is a – it's a brand. It's a show. It's a series of cookbooks. It's a company – Um, it's, they do podcasts, they have a show on public radio, and actually, they have a partnership with, it's either Norwegian or Holland America, where they have a little America's Test Kitchen, like, studio on the cruise ship where you can, like, learn stuff. Cool. But they're, oh, it's great, but their whole concept is, um, you know, all the recipes that we show everybody, we are rigorously testing all the time, so- They are my go-to source of information. If I want to buy a new pot or pan, they've tested all the pots and pans. Uh, They take a very scientific approach and they'll say, hey, you know, people have been making, you know, people have been making, oh, I don't know, beef stew the same way for 200 years. Is that really the best way? You know, why stand on tradition here? How can we, you know, how can we make a beef stew taste just as good? Only it takes one hour instead of eight hours. And that's what they do. Their whole their whole modus operandi is taking food and making it more efficient and easier to cook and enjoy. So, I'm most of my tips and tricks come from them.
0: All right. So it's called Test Kitchen or Boston Test Kitchen or just Test, America's
1: Kitchen? Test Kitchen. America's Test um, Kitchen. They also Test have Kitchen. a related show called Cook's Country. Which is America's Test Kitchen, only in like a big barn in Vermont instead of in like a Boston <laughs> studio. It also, uh, during these trying times, is an unbelievably peaceful show to watch oh.
0: because it's just
1: these really it's it's people that love food, people who are trained cooks. But it's not like necessarily the Food Network where you're you're watching personalities. You're just yeah. watching, you know, like you're just watching people that love to cook that are very personable people and are very sure. good on television but you're not necessarily watching someone perform. You're just watching them teach you. So it almost feels like you're in a very nice, spacious, airy classroom instead of in like a TV studio watching someone make chicken.
0: That sounds incredible and like perfect uh, content for me right now because we're starting to run low on things that are, you know, pleasant and nice to watch. And the testing part of it is absolutely brilliant because how many times, I don't know if anybody else is like this, like I want to get a really good pan for omelets and eggs. And I have done my own personal research. I go to various stores and I look and I read and I'm like, I don't, I'm not a paneologist. I don't, (laughs) sound like Mm (laughs) panteologist. I'm standing by it. And I don't, (laughs) and I don't. I don't know what what coating or no coating or some coating or like it's galvanized and this was made on the moors of England and like, I don't know. So to have yeah, a like, resource like Do I, do like I that-
1: want, you know, like the, the old hermit that makes one pan a year? Do I want that hermit's pan? Or do I want like a pan from the company that makes 10,000 a day and are great at pans? Like what's the right thing? Yeah. And- Yeah, America's Test Kitchen, the cadence of every episode is interesting because you're going to have this really awesome recipe where they'll cook something and talk about it and eat it. And then there'll be some testing that they'll do. It's like, okay, so here's the best cheese grater. So it's like, all right, you're going to learn how to make an apple bundt cake in 45 minutes instead of two days. That's part one. Part two is like we have tested 20 cheese graters and these are the best cheese graters and this is why and then you'll get like another recipe after that and then maybe there'll be one more thing at the end where they're testing different vanilla extracts so every episode it's it's easy listening it's just nice and peaceful but also you'll just learn stuff like you'll just learn like i now have preferences regarding vanilla extract It's a thing I didn't think I needed a preference for, but now I have it. (laughs) It, it, It'd be the equivalent of like, you know, it's like you go to an art museum for years and years and years and you like the art. But if you take one, like one hour art appreciation class at the Learning Annex, the next time you go into a museum, oh boy, the colors are more vibrant. You start getting an idea of what people want to do, what the artists are going for. And so I look at America's Test Kitchen the same way. Uh, in in a very real way, I think they're more responsible, they're as responsible for my lasagna being as tasty as it is, uh, they're as responsible than, like, my Italian heritage.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, what a great, what a great resource. Thank you for that. Are there any other stuffed pastas or stuffed anything that you consider your specialty or that you enjoy making?
1: So lasagna, and you know, lasagna is not necessarily a stuffed pasta, but I consider it one since ultimately it is cheese generally covered by by noodles. So lasagna and and stuffed shells are my two favorites. Um, it's it's probably harder to make well, but you know, manicotti is also one because you know they're big fun tubes. Full oh, of yeah! Cheese. Manicotti! Yeah, I, but with manicotti, I would much rather go to a restaurant that loves their manicotti than for me to do it myself. Because I'm of a mind where there are some things that really do taste better when you make them at home. But there are some things that you that I, I'm of a mind where you should just leave them to the experts. My wife and I went through a phase where we made ketchup a lot. But okay. then I realized, you know what? Heinz figured out ketchup. We're not going to beat Heinz. <laughs> So we're, we just we're gonna let Heinz take care of that. Will I will I make the hot dog that like the the ketchup goes on Sure. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat the big ketchup. So you know with 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 manicotti, it's more of an effort to stuff manicotti than it is to stuff a stuffed shell. Because with a stuffed shell, you're really just kind of putting stuff into a canoe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: but with a manicotti, you know, you have to make that same mixture. And then put it all in like a one gallon like Ziploc bag, and then cut the end off and like pipe it in, and all of that. So I live for manicotti, but I will always order like an oven baked manicotti in a restaurant instead of try to do that in my own house.
0: Yeah, I forgot those tubes are tricky because you can't, you can't, and they're so delicate because mm-hmm. usually those are boiled ahead of time and they're so they're they're it's just easy to tear. I also. I'm not a delicate lady. I'm like, hands, knives,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: things just flying all over the kitchen. Yeah. It, well, stuff, stuffed shells are more durable too. Like, so, yeah. you know, if you don't have like that, that feather light touch that you would need to like decorate <laughs> a cake, you, yep. you probably, you know, you, the manicotti will fall apart on you. Stuffed shells, the pasta tends to be thicker. Uh-huh. Um, which means that, because cause I'm, I'm the same way. Like I don't have like, I don't have, like, an artist's hand. So for me, a, a, you know, Stuff Chill will come out right every time. Manicotti is much more 50-50. And frankly, if you're spending that much time, you know, yeah. working on everything, you want it to come out right.
0: Yeah. If you're going to take the time to do it, you want it to come out nicely. So leave it to the experts. It all And it always depends on your pleasure, right? It depends on what you enjoy doing because i'm sorry did you say that you make your own hot dogs
1: oh so i uh, i'm a big fan of um i'm a big fan of making sausages and i i know how to make really? hot dogs i usually make sausage more um the thing that i don't do terribly often is um i usually don't case them because when it comes to sausage i actually prefer to take the sausage out of the casing and okay make it into a patty or something like that it's always been a thing for me. I don't know why, but uh but yeah, I um yeah, I kind of got into sausage making, uh you know, in the halcyon days of my twenties, when I had tons of time to make sausage. Uh and, you know, it's really a very kinda of cool process because, you know, you generally need like a food processor, and that's kind of it. If you wanna case it, then you need like, you know, a stand mixer or one of those like hand crank sausage casing machines where you put yeah. the casing on and the extruder and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to make sausage, really, it's you know you get you get good ground meat. Unless you want to grind it yourself, that's cool too. But a nice good ground meat and you know a, a seasoning that you want to add to it. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of taking seasoning and grinding it together into ice to make like a shaved ice and meat kind of paste that I then use as a vehicle to put the rest of the seasoning into the meat at large. That's a whole other situation. But all you have to do is just kind of do that and then, you know, like you can, like a nice sneaky way to kind of make sausage at home is to, you know, again, ground meat and mix it up with the spices you want and sometimes ice water and sometimes not. And then you know, kind of put it in your oven in like a roasting dish on a rack and in the bottom of the rack you could put a couple of wood chips soaked in water or some tea bags and you essentially create a little smoked sausage situation in your own oven without creating a lot of smoke and setting off the fire alarm. So it's it's a nice easy way without a ton of equipment to make your own sausage.
0: Where's Which also goes great show. in lasagna, by the way. Yes, it does. So. Good gracious! Look at you. Have you always been a chef? Like, have you have you always enjoyed cooking? Like, usually when people when I'm thinking of my twenties, I am definitely not thinking about all the cooking I did. I'm thinking about all of the all of the things that I will not mention here. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking of. So that's not true. I still I made a lot of cookies, and uh, cookies are fun in Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So were you always interested in cooking?
1: I've always been interested in... I'm trying to think of the least strange way to say
0: this. (laughs) If it's strange, that's totally fine.
1: All right, good, good. So I, I feel safe enough to say this. Cooking for survival is not something I enjoy. Cooking for fun is something I do enjoy. Yeah, okay. So, you know, if, you know... If I have – let's say it's a Sunday night. I'm making my food for the week. I'm also a big fan of like meal prepping where I'm doing oh, all my cooking I'm on you. Sunday. You Tupperware up everything and you're good to go. Um, if I have – let's say my Sunday is all I have to do all day Sunday is make a lasagna and listen to some podcasts in my kitchen. All of a sudden, cooking is the most fun part of my week. My love of cooking ebbs and flows with how busy the rest of my life is. That's probably the, the safest way to, to describe it.
0: Yeah. I love cooking now. Um, I started cooking a little bit when I was trying to eat healthier because I realized I was eating nothing but processed foods and foods that I had no part in making. Mm-hmm. So I I suddenly became like really obsessed with soup. So I made about- Ten types of soup and I would do, like you mentioned, do one pot on one day and then just eat that plus other stuff throughout the rest of the week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it became a really, it changed my relationship with food in a lot of ways because I was a part of the process and I wasn't just, you know, eating eating random things, which is still totally fine. Of course, Uh, it depends on what your interest is, but I'm really grateful that uh, cooking uh, came into my life. And I really, I really do enjoy it still. It's funny that you mention it. I got a chicken, a whole chicken, and I found stuffing in the back of my uh, pantry. And I'm like, I'm going to make a honest to goodness, like roasted chicken with stuffing and green beans. I'm going to make like basically a mini Thanksgiving, if Mm -hmm. you will, only with chicken instead of turkey. And I've been looking forward to today, Saturday, because that's when I was going to do it. It's the only thing on my docket besides speaking to you today. So I am, I am like gearing up and ready to go. And I'm like, can we have dinner at, you know, noon? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so that's, and I don't know if this is like a New Jersey Italian thing, but for Thanksgiving and Christmas, dinner was always at two in the afternoon. Oh, like, wow. that was the... Oh, yeah, that was like the special thing is, or even Easter, like an Easter Sunday dinner. Oh, yeah, we were sitting down, you know, like at the dining room table at two o'clock, we were eating dessert by four. Um, (laughs) And so for for me, like, and so the Serpicos are also big fans of Thanksgiving dinner, not on Thanksgiving. But when we make it, we suddenly start getting hungry for it at like two thirty instead of like five or six or seven or whenever we normally eat sure dinner. Um, because that's just what I associate with my youth is these obnoxiously early dinner times. <laughs> um, I think one thing that that I've realized now that is very fun about about cooking and food and and, and yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, you know, when when you eat processed food for a while, which again is totally fine. When you start cooking it yourself, it, it's almost like you feel like you're part of the process now. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm part of the you know, I'm not just like opening up a box. Like I'm I'm part of this great big machine now. Um and what I you know, what's kind of fun is I love I love the idea of like having a big Thanksgiving dinner only in your pajamas, you know, like all the joy <laughs> of food and making food, but you're not wearing your Sunday best and like hanging out with the cousins you only see once a year. It's like, nope, I'm, I'm wearing a robe right now and the sleeves are rolled up because I'm like mixing sausage to like stuff the chicken with. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I, that's, I think that's like an insight into who I, I suppose who I am as a person. This is a very introspective, uh, talk about lasagna. My goodness. (laughs) But like, you know, I loved, like for me, it was so comforting to like, be at home eating this, like, big, grand early dinner that I know was homemade. Like, that's what I loved from being a kid. And now, for me, the best way to recapture that feeling is to be wearing comfy clothes and cooking on a day where the only thing I'm doing is cooking. Because in essence, for me, that's what recreates Thanksgiving, is not Mm -hmm. just the food you're eating, but the pace of the day, which should be nice and slow and relaxed. There's a lot that's very comforting about cooking. And to, to use kind of lasagna as the stand in, you know, like making a lasagna or making a Thanksgiving dinner, or something like that, it scratches a lot of kind of itches in, in your brain. You know, the world is in a tiny bit of chaos. And, and so, you know, what are the, it's like, what are the things that make people feel comforted? Uh, doing something with your hands, thinking through a process, being creative. So let's say I wanted to make a, you know, let's say I wanted to make, like, some new lasagna that I've never made. Maybe I would try, like, essentially a chicken Alfredo lasagna. What would that look like? And so I'd kind of map it out. And, like, that's my creative side is mapping out the ingredients and thinking, okay, how can I really tie this together? All right, cool. All right. So I've mapped it out. That was a fun, creative thing. Now I need to make a list of ingredients. And I love making lists because that's a comforting experience. And then, okay, now I have all the ingredients. Now I'm going to cook. And that's a very manual process. So you're working with your hands and you're listening to music or a podcast. For me, I think my, my wine is listening to a podcast and drinking root beer because root Aww. beer is a rare treat for me. Like I always keep like a six pack and I'm only going to have a root beer because I try not to drink sugar. Oh, I'll eat sugar all day long, but all I day. try not to drink it. And yeah. so, um, so, like, if I'm cracking open a root beer, it, that's a celebration. So, like, you know, so I'm I'm working with my hands and, like, having a root beer and listening to a podcast. And then, you know, it's like baking a thing. And then when you're done, you've created something and you take a picture yeah. of it and you eat it. And so, you know, it like, the act of cooking from, you know, start to finish checks off a lot of boxes in terms of self-care.
0: It really does. That was a beautiful way of putting the process And it absolutely makes a lot of sense. At the end, whenever you get the finished product, I'm always surprised, assuming it has come out relatively well, Um, like I've been making muffins lately because I like having something sweet for breakfast.
1: Mm. And
0: so (laughs) it goes so well with coffee. A muffin and coffee is just the -hmm. most wonderful way to start the day, in my humble opinion. And so I'm like, look at this muffin. You used to be blueberries and flour, and now look at you. You're a muffin. That's yeah, crazy. <laughs> you, you, you've,
1: you've executed a transformation upon something.
0: It's really yeah. cool.
1: Um, we're, we're a banana bread house. Um, oh, good. And, and all various breads, but we love a good banana bread. And so that was my breakfast this morning. And one thing I, I like to do, and I do this with muffins sometimes if I've had them in the fridge for a couple days uh-huh. Is I slice them in half, cover them in butter, and griddle them, and you get oh! that nice, crunchy, crispy texture. And then if I'm feeling really, really fancy, I'm going to put some peanut butter on there.
0: What? Ugh. Oh, you had me at butter and griddle. Peanut butter. Interesting. Would that go with your, would it be a banana situation or a peanut? Oh, Yeah. uh,
1: But a banana muffin works – I wouldn't – I probably wouldn't – I've definitely griddled up corn muffins, but if I'm eating a corn muffin, like a corn muffin's going to live on its own. But with like a blueberry muffin, with a banana muffin, with banana bread, with apple bread, oh yeah, peanut butter, or dare I say even Nutella, works really well as a topping once you get it griddled up.
0: It sounds like you learned how to cook yourself. Did anyone teach you? Did you spend any time in the kitchen with your family or with anyone who cooked?
1: You know, it's it's funny. I feel like, you know, when I watch the Food Network and, you know, they're talking to a chef about how'd you start learning, like, I'm a, my, I, I don't even know if I'd call it a guilty pleasure. It's just a, a, an unadulterated non guilty pleasure is diners, drive ins, and dives.
0: I'm sorry. It, it's a great show. It's so it's good. Fun. It's sweet. He's helping out local businesses. I'm seeing a lot of foods that make me go, oh, my God, that looks amazing. We I- have,
1: like, a list of bookmarks on, you know, Yelp about all different Guy Fieri recommended diners, drive-in, and dive places. Yeah. Like, so, you know, but, you know, when Guy Fieri goes to a restaurant, he's, you know, he always says, you know, how'd you, you had to learn how to cook. And everyone's like, oh, my grandmother. Oh, I spent a lot of time with my dad in the kitchen. Um, it's like, oh, I have this great uncle and great aunt that did. For me, it was never the case. I actually, when I was a kid, I wasn't really drawn to the goings-on of the kitchen. I I loved to eat, but it'd be one of those things where, like, my my really fun memories would be, like, you know, sleeping over my grandparents' house, and my grandma cooking in the kitchen, and me sitting in the living room with my grandpa, like, playing cards, and, you know, when it was dinner time, like... You know, my grandma would set the table. She didn't want us to do it. She wanted to do it. And then we'd all, you know, so like the, <laughs> for me, the kitchen was the almost like, um, you know, behind the curtain. Like it's almost like I didn't want to know what happened behind the curtain. I just knew that there would be the big reveal of a feast. Um, so yeah. my job was mainly to clean up after. My job was to, you know, wash the plates and put them in the dishwasher. So I really, um, I, when I was in my, 20s and, you know, after college, and I really, you know, lived in an apartment and learned how to cook for myself. I was constantly talking to, you know, my mom and my grandma about how they cooked. But I never really, like, learned, like, I never had, like, my hand on their apron and, like, you know, watched them cook. It was always, you know, I learned by me as an adult asking, my family who are also adults how to cook and then I would just sort it out myself.
0: Very similar for me as well. Like I mentioned I didn't really start cooking until I guess it was my mid-twenties. And to this day I still call my mom on Thanksgiving about her sausage stuffing because it's an approximate uh recipe that my grandmother made. It's our tradition. Every Thanksgiving I call and I ask her. It's funny that you mentioned your grandma cooking because I remember waking up and her dippy eggs, I don't know if you guys have dippy eggs. They're over medium or over easy, sunny side up kind of mm. eggs. But her dippy eggs to this day are unparalleled. My mom makes amazing dippy eggs. I make good dippy eggs. But grandma had, she dialed in on that. And I think that's just after her, you know, 80 years of <laughs> of experience of making the perfect egg. And- yeah. It's lovely. It makes me happy that you call your parents or call your mom and say, "Hey, how did you do this? What are you doing?" or "What did you do?" I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah. I one one thing that I've I've realized is you know, when you cook for as long as like my mom has cooked or my grandma has cooked, they love sharing their secrets. You know, it is it is a joy for them to 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 tell you about this. Um, you know, I think uh, the, for me, you know, the reason why my mom's chicken marsala will always be better than mine is a combination of two things. One is honest to goodness experience. Like, if you spend yeah. the greater part of a century making dippy eggs, you're going to be real good at dippy eggs. But the other part of it, too, and this is the part that's, n- that, that, that you're never, none of us are ever going to catch up with is that idea that nostalgia makes the best sauce. You know, it's, it's not just like, I, I would put my chicken parm up for competition against my mom's. My mom has made so much more chicken parm than me, but I think mine is just as good, objectively speaking. Like if you put it before a, if there was a blind taste test and you tried my mom's chicken parm and my chicken parm, um, I, they'd probably get equal scores. However, I could always tell the difference and I would always pick my mom's over mine because <laughs> I wasn't eating my own chicken parm when I was 12 years old and it was a snow day and I had spent oh. the morning shoveling my driveway and the afternoon like playing Rampage on Nintendo like there's that that specific moment like that that first bite of chicken parm whether it's now when I'm visiting my mom or back then I can't recreate that. I can't recreate that bit of it. Which is why my grandma's scrambled eggs will be the best scrambled eggs I've ever eaten. Because that's the first thing I ate when I woke up from sleeping over their house. Which was, like, the most fun. So, you know, I like, I can make an omelet well. I know how to cook eggs properly. I know how to do whisk and cream and do all kinds of fun stuff. But my grandma's my grandma's eggs are tastier for me. And it's it's because... All the technique in the world can't match that access to memory.
0: That's so sweet and it's absolutely true. I've made meatloaf and it's fine. It's it's good. It's a good meatloaf, but not like my mama's. Mm-hmm. She makes the best one even yeah. though I'm following her recipe, but she gets it she gets it more. I think she's a better mincer than I am or she uses the blender or something and I'm like, I don't want to dirty a blender <laughs> with <laughs> with stuff. So, yeah oh gorgeous so for friends and listeners out there who are interested in starting to cook uh who maybe have zero experience what would you recommend for them get an easy win
1: uh you know i that is to say like go to go to trader joe's and get some pasta from trader joe's if it's spaghetti snap it in half if it's you know smaller pasta you don't need to Um, get some Trader Joe's sauce, get some Trader Joe's Parmesan cheese, boil some water, set a timer, take the pasta out when the timer goes off, mix it with some sauce, top it with some Parmesan cheese, you've made yourself a meal. Get that easy win. Uh, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to, you know, make lobster thermidor on your first day here. (laughs) Like, the best thing, the best thing in the world to do is get used to Boiling water and setting timers. And that's mainly mainly it. Um, uh, The other thing I would would recommend as well is when you're cooking meat, for someone that's new, um, one thing that surprises me is how few people own a good digital kitchen thermometer. Yes. Everyone needs to just buy one. Because, you know, I think for, you know, if you're of a certain, like, I'm in my 30s and if you're of a certain age like most most of like our previous generations, like our parents and grandparents didn't really use kind of plunge that thermometers tech. yeah that that technology, so their recipe for a Thanksgiving turkey is put it in the oven for six hours, but <laughs> yeah, which is certainly a way to cook a turkey i'm not, I don't want to begrudge that, but you know um. If you're scared of, uh, and as a new cook, new cooks always are, and that's totally great. If you're scared of either undercooking or overcooking your food, the best way to not is to just get a thermometer and, you know, just temp it. All meat cooks to 165, like pork, chicken, you know, if you want pork or chicken cooked all the way, cook to 165 and you're good. So, you know, if you want, you know, like a... You know, so like you have your pot, you know, your your spaghetti and sauce with cheese. That's a nice easy one. If you want to make yourself like just a tossed salad with some grilled chicken on top, get a bag of salad, get your favorite salad dressing and cook that chicken. Just get some chicken, cover it in salt and pepper, put it in a nonstick pan and cook it on both sides until the internal temperature on that handy thermometer is 165. Chop it up, put it in your salad. So now you have spaghetti and pasta. Or now you have spaghetti and sauce. Now you have a nice chicken salad. Those are the two things. Now you have that. That's a whole week's worth of food. Um, and those are both easy wins. So yeah, yeah. Know how to boil water. Know how to set a timer. Use a meat thermometer. You do all that. You are eighty percent of the way to being the best cook in the world. Everything else is just getting <laughs> better at certain things.
0: It's true. It's about repetition and doing it again and again and. Uh, one of my recipes is a uh, London broil, not a thick, like some London broils are like, especially when I go to the butcher shop, I'm like, I only wanted about an inch and a half. They're like, usually that's a big slab of meat. I'm like, yeah, but I just want an inch and a half.
1: <laughs> I am so. 100% the same way. My my mom's London broil was like as heavy as a winter coat. And yeah. there was something about it that I, it I don't know if it freaked me out. I just didn't want to eat it like that. But when it's nice and thin oh, the, just the ratio of seasoning to meat is just perfect that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's salty, let me tell mm-hmm. you. But it's delicious. And I think of when I started doing that uh, back when Patrick and I are first living together in uh, 2010. And when I think about how I made it then versus how I make it now, like I cringe when I think about because I would <laughs> like – I would slice it to put – more seasoning in. And I'm like, all I'm doing is letting out all of those wonderful juices by slicing it so much. And now I know like the temp- uh, the pan needs to be hot. And if I'm going to finish it off in the oven, then I need to get that set. And now like 99% of the time, it's a really lovely meal. That's another one that's super easy, friends and family. If you are, all you need is a uh, A London broil, it's top round. Like I mentioned, I only do about an inch and a half if you Mm -hmm. go to the butcher shop and they cut it for you. I season the heck out of it. I put um, Montreal steak seasoning on it, pat it in real good. And then I put on some Worcestershire sauce, not a bunch, but just enough. And then I let it sit. I let it sit and marinate, mostly to to get the temperature a little closer to room temperature. I'm going Mm -hmm. to cook it right away. But so that way- the internal temperature I can get it hot and crispy on the outside but we're more of a medium rare family yeah and uh so let it let it sit let it lose the f- cold the fridge chill essentially let it yeah uh, let it warm up just a scooch I'm not saying leave it there for five hours because mm. law um,
1: <laughs> no but that's <laughs> that is that, the secret though is if you start if you start with room temperature meat it's gonna you're gonna be able to regulate that temperature as you cook it so much easier
0: yeah yep and then just cook it this is something that i i have to tell or i've told patrick because he's trying to cook more too which is super lovely um is avoid the urge to turn it leave it there Uh it needs to sit there for a long time
1: you need uninterrupted contact between the protein and the and the and the hot surface to get the maillard reaction which is where all the flavor comes from
0: maillard reaction yeah look when, at you i tell
1: you when meat turn when meat turns to that nice deep rich brown that's the maillard reaction and it it causes a chemical change in the protein and it turns protein from protein to delicious protein um, what uh oh actually that that reminds <sighs> me of another uh kind of fun fun tip for uh for people who want to make lasagna as a new cook is yeah. uh for those that you know have an easy pot or a slow cooker Making lasagna in a slow cooker is not cheating. It is a totally reasonable thing to do, and it <gasps> works out super great. Really? Oh yeah, there are a million different slow cooker um there are a million different slow cooker lasagna recipes or slow cooker baked ziti recipes, which baked ziti for me, it's not technically a stuffed pasta, but I kind of consider it one. Um It's
0: in the family. It's
1: a, yeah, it's a cousin. Uh but yeah it's not cheating in <laughs> any way and actually the the like the official easy pot cookbook it is like a really well vetted cookbook and so any pasta recipes in there to do in an easy pot are great also another decent analog for making a lasagna if you're a soup fan is to make a tomato soup that's really a lasagna soup
0: <gasps> Oh mm. I'm into it
1: yeah, so, so it would, would
0: have the same components, but instead of it being a casserole sort of c- consistency, it's a
1: soup. It's a soup, yeah. It's a nice, thick, delicious uh, tomato soup. A little bit of cream in there, you know, ground sausage. Um, you know, all the things, all the things you would want, um, but in soup form, and it's it's uh, it works out nice. And you know, like there's the traditional, like you know, tomato soup and grilled cheese. With this, it's lasagna tomato soup and garlic bread.
0: Oh, oh, I'm so hungry. Mm. Oh, that sounds so (laughs)
1: good.
0: (laughs) Oh, amazing. Uh, Before we wrap up, I want to ask my favorite questions. Do you happen to have any funny or interesting stories, like any notable disasters Sort of like my shortening or sort of like my cookie disaster when I put all of that cornstarch in it.
1: I've, I've surprisingly never had a huge disaster in the kitchen as an adult, though I did very much like a sitcom thing as a kid where I tried to make my own like jello chocolate pudding in a blender without the lid on and it literally <gasps> like a volcano of chocolate pudding like hit the ceiling of my kitchen. I, I mean, I felt like, I felt like I was on TV. Um, and, you know, my mom, you know, is, I, I love my mom. My mom's awesome. Uh, she loved to clean house, but she was also not a tyrant about it. So, uh-huh. you know, it was one of those things where I looked at that and I'm like, oh, my God, it's all over the ceiling. And my immediate thought wasn't, oh, no, mom's going to kill me. It was just like, oh, no, I have to be on a ladder now, you know, because <laughs> I knew it was going to be my responsibility to wipe down the ceiling. But I just didn't like ladders. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's what ended up happening. I think I ended up having to, like, stand on our table to clean the clean the ceiling.
0: <laughs> oh, gracious. And chocolate pudding also. Oh, yeah. man. Dairy.
1: Mm-hmm. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have worked out any better if I had tried.
0: Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been an utter delight to talk to you about cooking and lasagna and all of these beautiful things that we've touched on today. Thank you so much. Oh,
1: absolutely. This was an absolute hoot.
0: Yay! And now I w- invite you to join me with musical arm farts. So you can, right. you can play however however you like. I'll count us in. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect! And you said that was your first time in forever?
1: I haven't done that in years. I was scared I'd burst a blood vessel, but I think I did okay.
0: (laughs) You did great. There were very notable uh, fart noises coming out of your microphone.
1: (laughs) Mission accomplished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, John. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy cooking. And I, I think you're great. And I think you're nice. Thanks for joining me. I think you're nice, too. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.